Hello and welcome to Live from America podcast. This is Hatem. Norm Dorman will join us later. They have some kids to take care of. Um, and uh, great episode today. We have the very funny Jan Laster, Comedy Central BT and regular The Comedy Cellar, and comedian Ian Feinberg with the number one record in iTunes right now. Congrats, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate and, it. And Emmy Award nominee. Not winner, but nominee. <laughs> <laughs> and SNL former writer, Tony Darrow. Uh-huh. And the, the man that's really hard to get, our guest of honor, Mr. Ben Anderson. He's an author of The Norse Enemy, war journalist, television reporter, filmmaker, and he's the recipient of the Foreign Press Award. And I've been trying to get him for 17 years in this show. <laughs> and finally, he's here. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for having me. Welcome, everybody. So, Ian, uh, tell us about the joke that you did. That was oh, today. I, I, yesterday, Ken, Kendall Jenner put up this. Uh, remember the Pepsi ad years ago with Kendall Jenner that came out like right after Ferguson? And it was like, hey, guys, I know we're in the middle of racial strife right now, but you know what'll fix this? Tone deaf advertising. <laughs> and Kendall Jenner got a Pepsi from a black guy and handed it to a cop. And then everybody was like, wow, it's fixed. So as a joke, I put that, I put those pictures up yesterday. I go, guys, I know things are messed up right now, but we can fix this. And it got like a huge response to everything. And then just now the fat Jewish posted basically the same exact thing. And my phone is blowing up with all these people that are like, the fat Jew stole your thing. And granted, it's not the most original thing in the world, but I did it yesterday. So yeah. F you fat Jew. <laughs> the the specific person, not in not. Uh, <laughs> I'm going for it works whole... for me either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't talking to Tony. Um, <laughs> I'm fine with that. So Ben, a war journalist. This is first of all, you told me this is the longest you ever stayed home. Two months now, right? Yeah. So what? First of all, why did you become a war journalist? Like, why would you want to? I mean, I grew up in a very small town in England. Um very low aspirations, um, not a political family, weren't really aware of what was happening in the rest of the world. And at 17, I started reading about what's happening in Iraq, Palestine, Congo, what had happened historically in places like East Timor. And I just, I just couldn't believe this wasn't front page news. I couldn't believe everyone wasn't talking about this every day. And often, you know, my government was, was backing or arming the wrong side. Mm. So I was almost like wanting to go into the streets and shout about this stuff. Um, and then I saw a documentary about East Timor where an Australian reporter had been there as the Indonesians were invading and Britain was supplying weapons to the Indonesians and he stayed and he made this video about this family that were about to get slaughtered and he was actually killed in a horrific way. And this sounds crazy, but I watched that video and thought I, I could do that. I could, I could just get somewhere that's, you know, difficult to be and just, just stick it out and, and, and hopefully tell people stories that aren't, aren't getting told. Um, and I still feel the same way today. I mean, it's always been bad in the States. I've been living in the States now for six years in, in terms of trying to get, you know, foreign coverage and, and, and coverage of, of hideous crimes being committed all around the world. Since Trump, I feel like it's got way, way worse. And 1% of news coverage right now is, is foreign coverage. But I'm still amazed that, you know, the really big foreign stories aren't covered at all. I mean, the last, the last film I did was about Burkina Faso, which mm. now has something like 800,000 internally displaced people who are having to flee from ISIS and Al-Qaeda attacks. I've, I haven't seen it mentioned anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it still blows my mind that, that you know, it, it gets so little coverage. When was the last time you saw Iraq on the news? Yeah. And, and you know, all of the places that, that US troops famously fought for and had all these famous, you know, week-long battles for, they were taken by ISIS. All the places they fought for in Afghanistan, many of those places have been taken back by the Taliban. And, and it hasn't been mentioned. It's just... Yeah. just well, Iraq, Iraq was the last season they dropped it. The rating is not high enough. They need something. <laughs> yeah. well, well, you know what? To, to, to be fair, because I'm very, very critical of the president, um, I think everybody, know, anyone who knows me knows that. But I, to be fair to him, that's what he does. The one thing that he learned to do from early on was to pull the strings of the media. He's a, in terms of business, he's a circus clown, he's a bigot, he's all of that. But the one thing that he did learn to do a long time ago was how to get a headline. And I think a lot of those headlines around the world, that if he doesn't want it in the news, he'll do something stupid to make yeah. them chase that rabbit down the hole. What do you say about the G7 today? Uh, a bunch of countries that, that, that uh, something to the fact that like, the, the G7 doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, the, the, he's going to make it the G11 and he's going to invite Russia back in. Uh, but don't <laughs> you think, Ben, don't you feel like, I know I do, 2003, the United States made a decision to invade Iraq to install a more American type of government in Iraq. And 17 years later, it seems like our government more resembles the government of Saddam than Iraq's government resembles the government of the United States in 2003. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think I, I agree that attacks on journalists recently stuff are, are, are disturbing. It's, we've got a long way to go before it's like that yet. I mean, I, mean back, I, I was in Iraq under Saddam. If you were even suspected of criticizing Saddam, you and your entire family might disappear, never to be seen again. Um, you know, it's a long way to go before that happens. But America is supposed to be this, this, this you know, shining light unto other nations and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's, it's very disturbing to see. I think there have been 29 attacks on journalists here in the last, in the last two or three days since the protest started. Um, and, you know, one of the few things I've learned from all of this, this foreign travel is once people are willing to stand up to try and get something done, you cannot crush them with force. That will just make them more determined. And right now, it seems like too many police departments think they can crush this by force. And that's going to make the problem worse. That, that's going to encourage people to, to stand up more not make them cower away and, and hope this problem goes away in 10 or 20 years. Well, it didn't work in 2008 with Occupy Wall Street. The police routed them out of New York under Bloomberg's direction illegally. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope you're right, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think it's I mean, just... There are some encouraging signs in, in New Jersey, I think, in uh, Flint, where the police were actually joining the protests. And yeah, in so, yeah, and in, yeah. In, in 2013, they had massive police reform and they installed community policing in Camden. And yesterday, the police were marching with the protesters. And that's that it, it cannot be said enough how valuable that is to have people want to have the police to march with you and to have the police want to march with the people. That says so much more than any press conference or any briefing or anything can say, you know, I, I think it's, it's completely possible if people are willing to make it happen, but it takes a lot of hard work. And, and we're in this archaic belief that you just smash things with power and it'll, it'll go away. And that's just not the way to go about business.
Yeah. And, and it's, we're seeing the effects of it, and it's just horrible to see. You know, it's so funny that, that my friend, who's a comedian and a cop, Mark DeMeo. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. So DeMeo was a cop. He's retired, but he was a cop for 20 years, 25 years. But I remember he and I on a podcast having a heated debate, and we, we shit, if you think me and Noam go at it, me and Mark go at it. <laughs> you know, he's a cop. I'm a black guy and a sizable black guy. So he understands how difficult it is for us. And he admitted that. But when, when I asked him what he asked me, what I thought needed to be changed from my side, from his side, the first thing that he said was community policing has got to come back. Yeah. He said it would change everything. If you're, if you're in the area with the people that you're policing, because then you're going to the same stores, the same restaurants, you're not going to come through like a bunch of yahoos jumping out of a van, hitting people with clubs. And then you got to see them later at the bodega. Mm -hmm. that changes what the fuck you do yeah john were you at the episode where we have a police detective and we were discussing cops and he was like uh oh we never hit anybody we never say the n-word we never remember that episode were you there that episode of course not you would have remembered (laughs) let me tell you something no i remember no it was heated too but he got arrested and he's in jail Oh, of course. Yo, let me, let me, let me say this. And I said this yesterday, Ian was there with me yesterday, but one of the things that I, I always try to do on stage. So even when they threw me out of Atlantic city, I didn't care because I never make up things on stage. If I'm going to say something that's critical of someone, it's Mm going to be factual. So I called Mark yesterday before I did the show that we did together, Ian, because I didn't want to say anything that wasn't factual. But the likelihood of being shot by a cop is probably the same as being in a commercial airline accident. Cops, cops have robbed me. I've, been, I've had guns put to my head. I've been choked. I've been all types of shit. But I don't know any of my boys who've been shot by a cop. That is just a very, very rare thing. The guy who had his knee in George fucking George's neck had shot two other people. <laughs> not one two and then choked someone out with his knee do you know what I mean but he did it so casually in but broad daylight no, there's, in front and there's of no way in the world if there's community policing that that guy would be able to walk around the neighborhood yeah yeah there's Absolutely. no way in the world you shot two people you would be done I think he had 17 complaints against him 17 yeah yeah 17 that yeah. they wrote up you they know, used yeah. to have in New York, you used to have to live in the city to be a New York City police officer. And they changed that about like, I don't know, 40 years ago or something. Yeah, now they have goons come in from Long Island and they try to, you know, police Intervale Ave. And it's like, this just not make sense. It's this not, should not be happening. You know, I've got to say, my, my dad used to be a policeman in the 60s and 70s in Luton, which was a very mixed community. And back then, the police in England were violent and racist for sure. Now they've gone so far the other way that the police just aren't out on the streets and aren't talking to people and finding things out. Here, one of the big surprises for me is every interaction between the cops and, and anyone, even if there's no you know, violence taking place, it's, I'm the tough guy, I'm going to dominate you, and if you don't yeah. back down immediately, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like completely the wrong approach. Um, did, you guys hear, did you guys hear about uh, Trump calling um, his brother? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Trump said called he, his, said he, he didn't let him speak. speak at all. He yeah. didn't let him speak. He's you, like, know every time I, you know what I also think, though, man, that needs to happen, man, in terms of 
some of these cops because I've seen a bunch of cops on um, on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. The cops that are speaking out, I also think you got to find a better way to reward those guys. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of cops that are saying, hey, I think that's fucked up too. So when you come out and you say all cops are the devil, you box them in. Yeah. They get defensive. There are some of them that say, hey, man, I think that's fucked up. I think hey, but they, they do protect each other. I mean, they protect. I mean, Freddie Gray died under the, uh, he was with six police officers when he died. His death is ruled as an unsolved homicide. He was in the presence, in the custody of six police officers. If you can't solve that, Columbo with a stroke could solve that case in like two minutes. You well, can't you solve that figure, case. Well, Tony, you got to figure there were four guys, right, yeah. on George Floyd on video. Yeah. And, they, and, and, and three of them still aren't arrested. Yeah. So, so I, I, I totally understand that. But I'm just saying that for the cops that are, are that are that were there were a lot of cops there in Minneapolis that were saying no that was wrong I'm saying instead of saying fuck all cops why don't you gather the guys that also say it's wrong and give them a platform because they're the guys that could stop this bullshit the, the, the fastest yeah well they do have a platform to, and if somebody has 17 complaints maybe you should move them somewhere else well that that's the thing too that a lot of officers face and actually Mark DeMeo told me about this uh, it's called highway therapy. So if you speak out against something or if you don't give the amount of tickets you're supposed to give or if you don't fall sure. in line with the blue line, you get highway therapy to teach you a lesson. So if I'm living in Williamsburg and I'm policing in Manhattan, for the next six months, my, my morning duty is now moved to Throgsnet. So that means I have to get up early in the morning. I have to travel further to police another area to teach me, you want to make a mistake? You want to go against what we're doing here? Well, you're going to learn. And I'm going to make your life hell for the next six months. So it's just easier to fall in line than to have to deal with the consequence of like doing the right thing and then being punished for it because of this total insane, you know, and I understand you have to have the brotherhood of like, you know, it's us versus them. And if I see one of my guys out there, I want them to have my back. So I have their back on question. But it, it's, it's, there's a lot of gray in that area. It's not black and white. There has to be something in the middle. And you can't just be punished for uh, not completely falling in line. Like those cops that are speaking out against it. I cannot imagine the fear they have of being in a situation and having one of their brothers not get their back because they spoke out against something that they should keep their mouth shut about. You know, does that make sense? Absolutely. And, 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 and to, well, to your, and to your point, Ian, all of them started off with, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. All of them. Yeah. They all, that's how they all preface it. I know that yeah. I know there's going to be some guys, they all, none of them yeah. just started. They all started with, yo, I know that I'm going to get some flack. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but. And, and, and another thing is like, why are they starting now? You know, why not before? Why do I have to wait for a tragedy? I mean, it's the same story. You can take the name out, put another name. It's the exact same story every time. It's crazy. Um, I got ben a movie called uh, Crime and Punishment about some NYPD whistleblowers um, and how they were treated. And they were sent to like industrial areas in the middle of nowhere just to stand on a street corner for hours. Some of them had their careers ruined. So yeah. they ended up doing okay. It's, it's a brilliant documentary and still fairly recent. I think it came out two years ago. So, so whistleblowers are still getting treated exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. well, did you ever see the documentary about Frank Serpico that came out about two years ago? Yeah. Not the movie Serpico, but the documentary about him. Very interesting. Like after all these years, 
cops are still telling him the same things are still going on. Well, two cops who rescued him, um, he was grateful two cops came to rescue him because he was dying in, a, in an apartment in, uh, in Williamsburg. And later, one of them said, if I knew it was Serpico, I wouldn't have rescued him. I would have le left him there to die. Wow. Well, speaking of, of documentary and TV series, uh, your BBC's uh, Holiday in the Axis of Evil, where Ben sneaked into Iran, Iraq, North Korea. Where else did you go? Uh, Syria, Libya, and Cuba. There, there was a, George Bush had an axis of evil list, which was Iraq, yeah. Iran, North Korea, and then John Bolton added Syria, Libya, Cuba to the list as the axis of evil. And you sneaked into all of them and... The only axis between them was that you could get into all six countries on a tourist visa. So that's what we did with a small handheld camera and just kind of made a film like from the streets up, just talking to ordinary people in those countries to see if what George Bush was accusing them of was, was true, which of course it wasn't. So there's a, uh, something that you said in an interview that actually I, I really want to talk to you about. You said, I don't think I've ever been anywhere where the reality on the ground was far from what's being reported. Like you said that everywhere that you go where there's a conflict or war, it's not what we, what's really reported. It's almost the opposite. Yeah, I think it's almost like the scarier a place is supposed to be or the more hostile people are supposed to be, the nicer they turn out to be. Uh, Iran, Palestine, Iraq. Um, I can see it. Most welcoming, educated, hospitable people you'd ever hope to meet. Afghanistan, you spent a lot of years in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, I mean, not years. I've been there, I think, 16, 17 times, but, but same thing. They'd give you their, their last little piece of bread. They'd give you shelter there. Yeah. What's, what's the worst experience you had, like, throughout this whole thing? <sighs> or it's serious, maybe serious. <laughs> I mean, Afghanistan, I've been in ambushes and firefights that lasted six, seven hours and we're, I mean, there was one where we had to dive into a ditch and, and the Marine next to me was hit very badly and the one next to me was hit pretty badly. I've been very close to IEDs, um, had them go off right next to me and friends of, I mean, I've got a picture, you can probably see it. Yeah, the, the, the second picture down is my friend uh, Joao Silva's picture. He's a very good New York Times photographer and he stepped on an IED in, in Kandahar. We were, there was a group of us there together and lost both of his legs. Um, I've been, there, were, there, were, there were places in Afghanistan where you literally had to watch every single step you took because there were so many IEDs buried everywhere. And as soon as you stepped on concrete, it was just like bliss because you knew there weren't IEDs under the concrete. Do you think that was all for naught? I mean, we're just handing the, the country back to the Taliban, right? Oh, I mean, when we overthrew the Taliban, uh, the Taliban were willing to do a deal back then in day one and you know they were going to do a deal from a very weak position so they would have supported the government that, that, that we were helping put in power um the 18 years that have followed the billions trillions of dollars spent the tens of thousands of afghan lives lost all that's meant is that the taliban now have a much stronger position at the negotiating table and they did a deal recently with the us which they described as a day of victory because they got all of their conditions were met and I think they now see it as the U.S. is going to leave the battlefield and they're going to finish off the Afghan government who we've been training and, and funding and supporting for so long. And Trump wants the U.S. troops out by the, the election here in November. If that doesn't happen, they're coming out anyway by April of next year. And I'm, I, I really fear it's going to be a bloodbath out there. I had a laugh when Trump said that this, this coronavirus uh, crisis made him a wartime president. <laughs> Sure, wartime president the day he took office. <laughs> Have you heard of Afghanistan? I mean, he's claiming he single-handedly beat ISIS, um, and ISIS are, are far from gone. And of course, 90% of, of the victories against ISIS when they had a caliphate in Syria and Iraq was, was under Obama. 
Well, I, I think it's going to be, I think eventually Trump's just going to claim that COVID was his secret plan to defeat ISIS. That'll be the end of it because uh, it's, well, it's they, just a matter of time. I don't know if you saw all the ISIS fighter, the uh, practicing mask and social distancing and everything. So they're not, they're not really, the numbers in Syria is not that bad, really, except in camps. It's uh, still a mystery to me how there haven't been massive outbreaks in Syria, Iraq, Congo. I mean, that's where I was recently, Yemen. Maybe it's just testing. Maybe it's the fact there's not much international travel or, or even domestic travel within those countries. But Burkina Faso has just had some cases and they can't socially distance because they're all crowded into, into what they call host communities because they're fleeing the violence. They can't wash their hands 20 times a day. They've barely got enough to drink. So um, I'm amazed there haven't been serious outbreaks yet. And I hope that's not just because there hasn't been testing to prove there are massive outbreaks. I mean, Africa in general, the numbers are not high. You know, like in Egypt, I'm surprised like we, we don't have that many, uh, yeah. you know, and they don't exercise anything, you know, so I don't know. I mean, a lot of those countries now, they haven't got a lunatic telling people it's not true and you don't need to follow the rules. You know, I think a, a lot of places, they're actually smart enough to realize this is a serious crisis and we need to do the right thing. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people have been traveling to Egypt since March. Who? I don't think a lot of people have been traveling to Egypt since March. Oh, no, no. Well, well I don't think anybody's traveling anywhere. But uh, okay. so, so do you guys think that social media, like there's a lot of, like a lot of incidents, like what happened here in, in the U.S. or outside, not getting enough attention. Is it social media is like helping uh, spreading the world? Or is it because of social media, we have so many events that we forget about the next one? Like a lot of people forget about Ahmed O'Brien now, you know, and started, you know, like, how can we focus on, on, on everyone to solve it? Well, I, I think social media is the cause of a lot of this because there's so much disinformation and you can get told something on social media or rile you up so much to the point where you'll show up somewhere on the basis that you were told to go to this rally and it wasn't even the truth. Somebody was just manipulating the strings to get you there. And at the same time, we're missing out on a ton of information because of different algorithms. Like if you go on Twitter right now, you'd be, unless you're actively searching for a specific thing, it's not going to pop up in your feed because of your location, the algorithm, what your followers are talking about, certain things. So I think it's, it's manipulated to a point where we we just it gets lost in the shuffle because we we're stuck in an environment with technology where everything is coming in that's only surrounding our small little world you know what's so funny is my friend does this great podcast called ask a political scientist so it's it's a nonpartisan thing it's just about the science of politics but the topic that they just did on thursday on her show was exactly what we're talking about. And the funny thing is that social media isn't near as big the problem um, when they broke down the numbers because on social media, sometimes you still collide with fucking crazy people that are not of your party. The bigger problem, they said, is cable news because mm. people are actually in their own silo completely and it's just them so you can feed them anything in there without ever having it contested, ever having somebody say, hey, you're a dumbass, you're a whack job. None of that happens when you're in your own silo on cable news. They said cable news has actually caused more of the polarization than social media ever could because on social media, you're still gonna come in contact 
with another opinion, with someone who disagrees, with someone who sends you something that is in total disagreement with what you say. But, but again, my, news, you get a free for all. But my point is not only that you, people disagree with that. My point is like, there's so many stories that like, if you go on a feed, like say Facebook, you find this guy got shot, a bomb here, a, a terrorist attack here. It's so many stories that we cannot focus in the, what's important to us. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my point. It's like, are we done with last week stories? You know, like, is it over? That, that's my point. You know, like, oh, so, so many times I get sent a video which is saying, this video proves that the white helmets are actors or this, this video of a conservative owning a libtard in a debate. You actually watch the video, or you actually read the article, like, it doesn't prove that at all. Yeah. All done is read the headline and share it. Did you guys see uh, the video about this reporter who tried to uh, fake gunshots in a protest uh, in the news and they caught him and they filmed him. So he was in the news, talking in the news, uh, uh, corresponding. And he had a, uh, his phone with a gunshot and he did it and they filmed him and they can, you know, confronted him. And he's like, Oh, I didn't know. It's crazy. You know, and I, I like what they're doing in Hong Kong now. Widely available. And I remember thinking, Oh, we're all going to get so much smarter. It's like information without borders, no more censorship. And I'm convinced it's made us so much dumber. I mean, I've never heard so many insane conspiracy theories. Just without like, a doubt ever out there. There's actually a conspiracy theory that Australia doesn't exist. <laughs> you can Google it. There's like 6 million people believe that it's a scam and all the pilots and airline attendants are in on it. It's really just an island in South America that they take you to. I, I'm glad that my theory has caught on. It's really good. No, I've made a difference. <laughs> there is no Australia. I've covered the entire like, Iraq and Afghanistan wars. One thing I know is incompetence is the number one reason for all of the th most of the things that go wrong. And there's no way any government is competent enough to pull off some of these conspiracy theories they're being credited with. No way. Well, that, that's, you know, I, I'm having a hard time believing. It, it's, you just don't know what to believe because so many things are coming at you one way or another. And now there's this thing floating around that the majority of the protesters have been either bust in or flown in. And they're not uh, Black Lives Matter protesters. They're white supremacist protesters that are trying to sow discord. And then a video came out of, uh, you know, this whole George Soros thing. Uh, a video came out outside of an Apple store. Out of nowhere, a pile of bricks appeared. And it showed somebody dropping them off on, uh, like, on construction crates. And then they just left. And then people just picked up the bricks and started throwing them at the building. It's like, what? I... I I, I, I feel I'm a smart, intelligent person, but then I see these things and I'm like, oh, is my brain melting? How, what is real? What is not real? I don't, I don't understand what to believe. And I try to believe myself, but I don't even know what's, what's real and what's not anymore. Well, when you have a, the, a, a spokesman for the president talking about alternate facts, and Ben, you were talking about Saddam, how they would just take your family away. But I would say now the Republicans are, are basically um, the bath party, a minority trying to control of the majority. And I don't think even Saddam ever suggested that the only uh, good Shia is a dead Shia, as the President of the United States retweeted just a couple days ago. He just did it. He just did it, but he never said it. He just did it. He never tweeted it. Yeah. Actually, I kind of like Saddam. He never used Twitter. Yeah. He just pulled his gun out and fired. You know, I'm from the Middle East, and it's just like with Trump, I feel it's more and more becoming like a Middle East country. Like you have your sons-in-laws and families around you. 
take in position. You give position to people that you trust, not the people that can do the job. You know, anybody disagrees with you, you're gone. It's just, you know, it's... it's. But, but correct me if I'm wrong about Egypt. I've been to a lot of countries under dictatorships. It doesn't take long for you to establish relationships with people. And privately, they'll say, we fucking hate this guy. We think yeah. he's a man we don't... That, that's not happening here in many cases. Many, 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 many people really believe the stuff they're saying and the stuff he's doing and, and the conspiracy theories we just talked about. Yo, and, but let me, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you said that. Do you, because as a black guy, I, I struggle when people say that. Do you really believe that a lot of the dumb shit that people hear, because I do think a lot of these Trump supporters are, are um, uh, let, me, let me be careful. I do. No, no, I don't. I, I mean, I'm just talking about formal education. I think that not necessarily college graduates, but I don't believe that a lot of these people are outright dumb. Do you know what I mean? So I'm no. wondering, oh. do you believe that these people believe that that when Trump says, oh, yeah, the wall's almost finished? I don't believe that those people believe that. I believe they'll tell you they believe that, but I don't think that they're dumb enough to believe that. I think that they were just like, hey, I remember they said when Nixon was on his way out of the door and the Republicans come to confront him and they basically say, hey, man, this ain't looking good. You got to go. When the Republicans came to his door and said that and he said, I might be a son of a bitch, but I'm your son of a bitch. You don't want their son of a bitch running the joint. So a lot of times when Trump does this shit, I don't think that these people are dumb enough to believe that this is helping them in any, in any way. But don't you hate the same people I hate? Yeah. So then let's go with all this bullshit. You I mean, hate those Mexicans, don't you? You don't want these Black Lives Matter people going ballistic out here. You don't want these black dudes fucking your daughter, do you? Then you better hang in there with me no matter what the fuck I say. But I don't think they're dumb enough to believe this that, that if I inject myself with fucking bleach, it's going to make the corona. I don't think they're that dumb. Well, you know what? It doesn't make the corona go away, but it has made my teeth the brightest day they've ever been. <laughs> Looking good, Tony. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think the underlying thing here is, you know, we might see um, same-sex marriage, uh, judicial reform, um, Beyonce playing the Super Bowl. We see all these things as like very slow steps of, of progress, like very slow towards, very slowly towards something resembling equality. There are a lot of people in America who clearly see that as, Hang on a minute, this, like, I don't like the idea of an even playing field. Um, that terrifies them. So I'm sure a lot of the reasons they support Trump is because they, I mean, I, I, you know, we did the Charlottesville doc with all those guys singing, um, Jews will not replace us. Yeah. I look at those guys. And I, I worked at manual labor. Of course, Jews aren't going to replace them. I, I heard the lyrics. I heard the lyrics. <laughs> I looked at those guys and I thought, those guys don't make me feel very master racy. Like these guys, if there's an even playing field, these guys are not doing well. <laughs> they don't have much going for them. And yeah. you know what? And, yeah. and, and, and that's a logical fear. That should yeah. be a logical fear. I mean, I, I, just being in all, you know, if, 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 if I take the all, oh, fuck them, this, that, the other. If I was some average motherfucker and it, and it benefited me to walk in the room and be white, I could see how you would fear if that was slipping away. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, and I just mean just as a human. I don't mean as, as saying there's some evil person. Any advantage that you have, and someone says, hey, man, we're, you know, instead of you guys starting on the 20-yard line and everybody starting back there for this 100-yard race, we're all going to start on the same line. Yeah, yeah. 
No, that was never going to happen. When Obama was elected, we were told that America was now a post-racial society. So those people were silent. They thought their day was done. And then this is, I think, a backlash to that. And I think, you know, they can handle a few famous, rich, successful black athletes, artists, whatever. But then when you have a president who's smarter than them, speaks better than them. Younger than them. Younger than them. And, 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 to, and to that point, though, Ben, it was, I don't know if you remember, but there was a long time ago, there was a sportscaster named Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yes. And Jimmy the Greek on the air says, hey, these black athletes are more superior. They were bred over the years. And, and then here's what, here's what Jimmy the Greek, a lot of people forgot what he said at the end. He said, uh, I remember what he said. Yes, he said, pretty soon they're going to have front office jobs and be owners, and what are we going to have left? Now, the reason they said they fired Jimmy the Greek was because he said that, these, they, were, that they were bred from slavery and they were superior athletes. That's the reason they said they fired him. That's not what they were upset about. What they were upset about was the real thought. If we turn this into a fair race, these guys are better athletes, and then you let these guys have management jobs and ownership, what are we going to have? That's the real fear. That's the that's what the, the thing that no one wants to talk about. What if we take away this advantage and turn this into a fair foot race? That's what Jimmy the Greek said out loud, and they were like, "Get the fuck out of here, Jimmy! You're giving the game away." That's feeding everything for sure. But I am amazed by how many smart, educated people I talk to who believe crazy stuff and really seem to believe it, and will like debate you all day long and send you you know, what looks like a professionally produced story on a good website as if it's the same as yeah. New York Times. But, 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 but another ben, point is like... Ben, Noam will be here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but an, an, another point is like the first election for Trump, he, I think he's not that he really won. I think Hillary lost, you know? So it's more of, of, of that problem. The next election is going to show us if America's really racist or not. This you is what's going to show us. You got slightly more numbers than John McCain and Mitt Romney got. Like, I think yeah. a million, million and a half more votes than them. So a lot of it is tribal. But Hillary lost three or four million view, voters. So that and he got fewer votes in Wisconsin. A lot of people don't know. They, with, great, great point, Atem, because the, the black vote was off 8% in Milwaukee and I think 7 in Michigan. And, and I've described it as like when you go to a club and the DJ is the shit and everybody's on the dance floor dancing and then some other DJ takes over and they play some whack song, yeah. everybody leaves the dance floor for a minute. That's what happened with black people. They walked off the dance floor, right? And then a bunch of fucking Trump people, not that many. It wasn't like, people act like there was this, these, 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 these farmers who ran out of their huts to come vote for Trump and it overwhelmed the system. That's not what happened. Yeah. There were fewer voters for him than Mitt Romney in Michigan. It was that all the other people left the dance floor because yep. of Hillary. That's a great example. They were yep. like, oh, Hillary. So th that's what's gonna show us next election. A, if America's really racist, how much, how many, you know? And I think it's gonna Even be not, not Biden, I mean, I know, but I don't think Biden's gonna win. But I think Trump is going to lose. You know what I'm saying? I, what I don't understand is maybe Ben can address this: is that they estimate between five and six million Obama voters voted for Trump. Yeah. But voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012, voted for Trump in 2016. 
Can you explain that? Because well, I think that, that reminded me of Brexit in, in the UK, in that people were just so sick of both sides, they just thought, we want someone who's going to throw the table over, and we'll yeah. just see what happens. And they didn't yeah. actually care what happened next, but, but I think you're right, Hattie. Now we've seen Trump and what that means. Exactly. So, so it's... You know, next time around, yeah. Do you think that they, re they regret that Brexit vote? I mean, there's anecdotal data saying lots of voters regretted it because they thought it was just a protest vote that wouldn't actually lead to Brexit, but don't underestimate. I mean, same thing in America. I think a lot of people underestimated how many racists there were in America still. I think a lot of people underestimated how many people in, and it's in England, not the UK, because Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland voted to stay in Europe. How many people still, and it's a different kind of racism in England. It's, it's mostly against Eastern Europeans and Asian Muslims but there are a lot of them just saying, there's too many of them in our towns and streets and we, don't want, we want that over. And also they still think there's some kind of international superpower and you know, it's below us to have to team up with Germany and France and, and others. And we should be, I mean, you know, my, my, my dad, lots of my friends voted for Brexit and they said, Ben, all this stuff you're saying about how bad it's gonna be may be true, but it just feels good. <laughs> I heard that a lot. Yeah. You know, that was my whole thinking with cocaine. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was there, but I had to do it, baby. Already on, baby. <laughs> so, Ben, you, you have a, a documentary called uh, This What Winning Looked Like, um, which is very, very sad, you know, uh, and disturbing. But uh, so if we take that here, if you do the same documentary here with the Trump era, what do you think his, uh, what, what do you think winning looks like? I mean, I think right now he's, he's relying on that, that kind of backlash or white lash against the Obama years that we talked about before. Mm. I think, and that, that, that's going to be enough to get him some serious votes. Um, he'll blame the economy on, on coronavirus for sure. Um, and you know what, which, is, maybe, which is good, which is a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, he also would say, before that, I created the greatest economy America would ever know. He, he, he has said, I created the, the lowest black unemployment rates ever. And you kind of think, can people not follow a basic graph? Like you look at the 2008 crash and what happened since then, and the graph just goes steadily like this. And you can't even see a blip in no. the election. He'll claim credit for it's just a, continuation. As a matter of fact, it actually slowed down. Right. Uh, plus, well, you remember when it tapering a little. Yeah, yeah. Remember Sean Spicer said, like, I don't know, a week after uh, Trump was in office about the unemployment numbers, Trump said, he quoted Trump saying, those numbers might have been fake before, but they're real now. That was the day that they came into office. Yeah, right. it's amazing. In the White House. Yeah. And, and, and remember, after he said it, he started laughing. <laughs> he just starts laughing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, well, it's, like, um, it's like football here, you know, if, if your guy commits a foul, it wasn't a foul and the ref shouldn't <laughs> play it. Your guy gets fouled, it was a blatant foul yeah. and the other guy, should, it's, it's tribal, it's, you know, people, I, aren't, people aren't looking to actually ask themselves some tough questions and they're not even looking to like go on the Wikipedia page for five minutes. Um, you know, their mind's already made up. Yeah. Why did it become unpatriotic to be con conscientious? That's what I don't understand. Like if you wear a mask and you practice social distancing, all of a sudden, that's not patriotic. That's, uh, you know, if, if you're a Trumper, that's anti, you're, not, you're a patriot if you're not wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah but I think, it started, I think it started taking your freedom away. 
Well, I think it started after 9-11 when we started calling French fries freedom fries. Oh, yeah. And just started making everything about freedom, and you're either with us or against us, and it's just trickled down into this thing where even if you care about your own health, you're, uh, you know, I, you're on the other team, you know, which is so interesting because I feel like a ton of these uh, protests, that I, I think the majority of, like, the white liberal protesters have made it out to be as if, you know, wanting to open the economy makes you evil. You, you want people to die. You're okay with people dying. Fuck you. And then now that a cause has come out that they're behind, they're like, Oh, the virus isn't real. I'll go around thousands upon thousands of people. It doesn't matter. I'll leave my house. I'll be around these people. Cause it's my thing. And it's like, well, what happened to you a week ago when you were saying, if you leave your house, you're evil and you want people to die. It's just disingenuous. It's, it's just crazy, which is why also aligning yourself to this whole thing with Brett Kavanaugh and believing women and everything. Now, if you said that, how can you in good conscience vote for Biden? So now there are all these people that are like, well, we can't vote for Biden. He's, he's, he's a rapist. Can't do it. It's like, well, now you're just throwing votes away to Trump. Well, I mean, Biden, the, the woman that accused Biden now, after all these years, after he gets the nomination, you know, I, she, I, she, to me, uh, she's not a good good witness. It's not one woman. If it's 20 women, it's one thing. If it's two or three women, it's one thing. But right. one crazy lady after 30, 40 years, whatever, whatever it was, 20 years ago, whatever it happened, nah, you, you can't take that seriously. Right. Again, I, for, for me, I don't think it's about Biden winning. It's about Trump losing. You know, the more people try to take away from Trump, you know, um, that's, that's the only way. Um, I'm just worried about third-party voters taking away from... I'm of the mind that I just, you know, going back to what Ben was saying about the numbers that Trump won with, I just don't think that people realize the probability of pulling something like that off again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just almost unimaginable. He Did needs it, more votes. He can't win with the same amount of votes. He has right, to pick up... But I'm saying that's, from. That's, a, that's assuming that, first off, that you're going to beat Biden in Pennsylvania. Right. That's assuming that you can beat Biden in his home on his home court. That's also assuming that black people are going to be equally disinterested as they were after coming off of almost a decade of the first black president. That's assuming that black people don't dislike Trump. You know what I mean? You have to do so many unbelievable. I just I just I think that people who who, who are looking at this race, they're, they're, they're going off of emotions and not looking inside the data. There's nothing in the data from the midterms, from special elections, from the polling, from how Biden's been polling versus how Hillary polled that says that this guy is, is on course for any type of a win. Yeah, but the, the, the polling didn't say that last time either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? And that's you why know, Hillary didn't go anywhere, because she thought she could just win it. But if you look at Hillary's numbers, Hillary was the least likable candidate in history. Biden is mm. not that guy. Do you know what I mean? Not to mention, I think that Biden is more of an inside the electoral college candidate more so than a coastal candidate. Yeah. They loved him on the coast. Liberals, people loved him. Biden is really good in the electoral college. He's good with old people in Florida, in Arizona. He's he good was, but now he just, he can't, he needs his CPU rebooted. Oh, I didn't say I didn't say that this, that, that that the guy is a fucking spark plug. I just said be hypocritical. Go ahead, Ben. I'm sorry. <laughs> what amazed me about Biden is I do think there are problems with him, but why doesn't he announce a team now? 
Why does it include Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang? You know, all well, of that, the impressive candidates that are running. So I, I, I think that's, that's his, he's doing something. I don't know if you guys know, like you sign up to his website uh, and you will be the first, they're going to be a pool. They're going to pick 100 people to be the first to know who's the vice president and the cabinet are. So he's trying to get more, um, you know, uh, social media. That's a smart, that's smart, yeah. Uh, I think his, his VP uh, choice is going to make a lot of difference. Because if he picks somebody good, you know, and likable, it can win him a couple of states here and there. It's a wrap. Should be. But for me, it's, it's the important positions within his government as well. You know, if, if you allow Elizabeth Warren to do something or Andrew Yang to do something, that's something that people can get excited to vote for. The if you make vote. a, if you make a super team like a transformer team of of amazing <laughs> candidates together, that's going to be that's going to recharge people so much. Rather than just Team Biden, if it's Team yeah. Everyone, that's going to be huge because he's got to be kind of insane to think he can do it on his own. You know. He's not that likable. He doesn't have that charisma to be, you know, all this charisma is like from Obama. He's taken like from Obama days, you know, so I don't know. But um, Stacey Abrams, the front runner now from VP. No, you think like it? I think, I think Elizabeth Warren is. No way. No way. Elizabeth Warren came in third in her own state. She can't out Biden. So you, you're thinking Stacey Abrams. I Stacey, think, Abrams, Stacey I Abrams could help him win Georgia potentially. I don't know if she can. That's very hard. Potentially. I think that's I think that's some heavy lifting. You know where I do think that the that even if the Democrats lost and came in close, they would still win huge is Texas. I think you would be all of the numbers consistently, if you ask the guys from 538, say Texas is far more purple than anyone knows. Yeah. In that statewide race with Cruz and Beto, he comes in a point and a half. Yeah. It wasn't a five, six-point old Texas stomping. That thing was in range. And I'll go, I'm going to take it a step further. I think that a big part of the problem when you're in a state that's been red that long, almost like we're in New York, it's just blue. So even if it's, let's say it's storming outside on election day, we as Democrats in New York are like, I'll sit this one out. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I think they feel the same way in Texas as Democrats. You don't feel compelled to vote because the Republicans going to win anyway. So if you take that Cruz Beto race and do it again a week later after Democrats knew they were that close, I think it's even closer. Right. Yeah. Remember, you know, I remember Texas when Ann Richards was governor. A lot of them would have got off the couch that day. I think that next morning, a lot of those Democrats were like, fuck. Yeah. I should vote it. Yeah. I should have. Yeah, you you know I remember we had uh, Rick Wilson in uh, in our show before uh, from the um, Lincoln Project. Uh, anti, he's a Republican anti-Trump, and uh, they, they they said they had a very good strategy. They're gonna go to the battleground. They've been in the battleground states like he's he's in Florida right now and Pennsylvania and all that, and they're trying so hard. So I think there's a lot of Republican against Trump. That's also gonna help a lot, you know. So if Trump loses Texas, the election's over. Period. Well, you oh, know cool. what? I also think if Trump lose if, if Trump loses Texas, the Republican Party is going to have to start rethinking what they are as a party because they have no shot ever, ever at winning the White House again without Texas. That's a done deal. Yeah. I think at that point in time, you got to say, "Hey, fellas, let's rethink this." <laughs> well, that's what they did when Obama was elected, and that's where we. And that's why we were where we at today. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and I know this is going to sound fucked up. Let's 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 
let's let's roll the time back and say that Hillary wins the election, right? And Hillary is sitting there with a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and all they do is investigate her for fucking four years. Because I don't think she would be been an eight-year president. Now a Republican comes back in the office and we're back at square one. I know this is gonna sound fucked up, but I think Trump coming in is gonna allow the Democrats to win the House, the Senate, the White House, and you can actually get something done. And you have a president that can probably sit there for eight years as the demographic drastically shifts in places like Georgia, Texas, Virginia, North Carolina, and you really can get some change done. In a I weird way, I think history is gonna show that this fucking psycho revealed to a lot of normal fucking people that aren't the super Trumpers that we didn't sign up for that. Yeah. I didn't know that I was getting some dumbass bigot who was just going to tweet all day. I thought this guy was yeah. a businessman. I didn't know there were this many racists out here. I and think it actually is going to swing the pendulum. Well, I, I love that point of view because you just made me feel so much better about voting for Trump. So thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it, man. That's really great. I think, I think to your point, John, it's going to be after Trump is gone, it's going to be like the corona is gone. Like you go out for the first time, it's like, whoa, what, what just happened? Like all this time, what happened? I think the world is going to feel like that. Yeah, yeah. The whole world, right, Ben? What are you saying? Ben, what are you saying? Eric Trump has already said the day after the election, the coronavirus is going to magically disappear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Democrat creation to, to you know. Ben, I have a question. I wonder, you, you, you travel to all these uh, dangerous places and war zones and stuff. Like, do you ever suffer from uh, PTSD? I was diagnosed with PTSD about uh, two years ago and I probably had it for a decade. Um, and actually... How, how did you know that you had, like, what was the symptoms? I mean, for me, the main things were hypervigilance. So if mm -hmm. I'm in a crowdy, busy room, like I'm, I'm thinking there's about to be an attack and I'm looking out for who the attack is going to be. Um, I was completely numb to danger. So I would, I mean, I did it. I would run across the street in Mosul knowing an ISIS sniper is going to take a shot at me. And my heart rate didn't increase at all. It was, and I didn't even care. Um, I was just so numb to danger. But that also means that when you get home, you're completely numb to things which should feel good. Catch up with friends, you know. Um, going out for a nice dinner, seeing a new film, you just, you just don't care. Hookers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the problem is you, uh, and I didn't ever do that, but, but in order to get stimulated, you need more and more extreme things. Um, and that's when you get, you know, people who, who do this for a living ended up alcoholics, drug addicts, suicides, whatever, because, because they just need something to stimulate them because nothing normal is stimulating. And so I, I have to ask, in, in knowing that and, and figuring that out, what, if, if you don't mind sharing, you done to combat that what have you done to address that and move forward from that so last year i traveled less than i've traveled since i started doing this um i'm doing therapy um i did i did mdma uh therapy and the first the first session with this this mdma doctor um they, they what, what's that what's an mda mdma it's like ecstasy yeah Ooh. So they do, they do four straight therapy sessions with you. So they know what your issues are. And then you mm -hmm. wake up in the morning, you, you take 125 milligrams, then 75 milligrams of, of pure MDMA. And then it's like a therapy session on, on steroids for seven or eight hours with two therapists. <laughs> That's a party that we should do. Uh. <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, whether you've got PTSD or not, I think anybody could, could, could benefit from this because you're just able to talk about anything. I mean, I... 
I, I'm, I'm, I cringe even repeating this to you because I do not talk like this, but for 10 years at least, I've just completely written off the idea of having, you know, a family, a house, a dog, and like enjoying that, that normal life and being able to have a normal relationship because of, you know, what I do for a living. Yeah. So A, I realized that I'd slammed that door shut in the first MDMA session, you do three. And then in the same instant, I realized that actually it was still possible and I could have a normal, healthy relationship and be happy and enjoy it. And I said, and I let them film the first MDMA session because we did a documentary about it. I said, I am a human being who can give and receive love. I never talk like this. And that's why I say it makes me cringe, but it makes you able to talk and think like that. That's beautiful. That's amazing. You sound like me about three o'clock in the morning. He hasn't been in that therapy for three years now. So Ben, you said that you... You know, like you, you could walk across the street sometimes and, 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 and be numb to like dangerous situations. Are you, does it also numb you like when you see things that are really fucked up? Do you think that that has also been numbed too? Or is that something that, that you kind of like, you know, some people have those jobs that they take home. That's a with great them. question. I had a friend who um, she works with kids who are taken from their parents in the foster system. But she was just so stressed out. And she was like, oh, I love these kids, but I don't know. And I was like, I don't think you have the stomach for this. Some mm -hmm. people don't have the stomach for it. So I'm wondering, like, for you, like, do, do, do you, does that just wash over you now? Or do you, do you are you sitting at, at, at breakfast sometimes? Like, God damn, that kid I left in, da, 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 is eating at me. I mean, you're thinking like that every day. But there's a lot of, I mean, I, I never even considered the fact that I might have PTSD or considered getting treatment because as soon as you start worrying about yourself, you feel guilty. Mm. You think I have it so easy compared to the people I'm covering. So easy. And especially if I'm in Iraq or, or Congo or wherever, I'm in the top 1%. I can go home whenever I want. I know that within a few days, I'm going to have access to a shower and food and shelter. Mm. So there's the dangerous combination where it is affecting you. It can't not affect you but you never address it and never do any self-care whatsoever because you think I'm so like privileged compared to the people I'm covering. And then it just comes out in its own way. And it was only when a couple of friends and, and my dad actually, and a few other people said, Ben, you're not, you're not right. There's a problem and you need to go and see someone. And then a, a new producer joined Vice and, and said, I want to make a documentary about MDMA for PTSD. And my hand just went up like this. <laughs> it was, it was kind of an excuse because I was still working. I was still being productive somehow. And that's the only reason. Your hand wouldn't went up second if I was in that room. <laughs> how, how did you get it, it? Do you have information readily available to point people in direction of MDMA therapy? Or is that something that anyone can look up? Or did you I mean, get I mean, access to it? Who's, who's your dealer? Sanctioned trials. So <clears throat> you'd have to qualify and you'd probably have to be you know, diagnosed with PTSD already. There is a massive underground scene everywhere. So I'm sure it wouldn't take you long to find a therapist who's willing to do this. Um, right. Like if you, like, like if in the chat right now, you wanted to message me names, like how would you go about doing that? Of like, um, telling me specifically where to go. <laughs> I mean, I can signal you a guy who lives just down the road from me. Who, 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 who does it. You know, it, what he's asking you is if, do you have any MDMA on you right <laughs> yeah. now? <laughs> as he uh, what about uh what about the soldiers like that you met all over like i know they're doing their job and but did you believe that they are 
just following the that the president's right or the policies are right or they know that people are not getting the right picture like you like you saw on the ground i mean two things for for every 10 soldiers that are sent to iraq or afghanistan only one out of every 10 actually sees combat is actually like out there with the population they're supposed to be saving so so mm -hmm. they have a very different viewpoint to everyone else who just spends most of the time on bases lifting weights and watching dvd box sets the combat veterans i think i don't think i'm exaggerating when i say most of them would say my job is to do what i'm told and as long as i protect my guy to my right and my guy to my left then that's what i can hope for the political bigger situation about you know liberating iraq and bringing democracy I've met none that have believed in that for a very, very long time. I mean, in 2007, 2008, you had officers, you know, educated guys who really thought we could turn things around in Iraq and Afghanistan, and in the long run, it'll be worth it. And General Petraeus had this counterinsurgency theory, which was going to win over hearts and minds and blah, blah, blah. Um, in the last decade, I haven't heard anyone who still believes that. And you, you also have to remember that a lot of these guys all they want, I mean, one guy said to me, he joined up because he thought the Taliban were the best fighters in the world and he wanted a shot at the title. <laughs> so, you know, all they wanted to do was to go and like be tested against famous fighters. I, I went to Iraq a couple of times and I was amazed at how many uh, uh, soldiers and Marines thought Saddam Hussein was involved in 9-11. And this is like 2004, yeah. this is three years later. Yeah. Yeah, Even no. after the election of 2004, they did an exit poll and like 74% of the people that they, they interviewed uh, thought that Saddam Hussein was involved in the 9-11 uh, attacks. Wow. These people that have voted. Meanwhile, Trump can celebrate in, in Saudi Arabia with the royal family there and no one, no one says anything. Right. And, and 13 of the hijackers from Saudi Arabia and nothing happens. You know. I've mentioned this a few times before, but, but Iran was actually really helpful after 9-11. Let the US use its airspace, handed over Al-Qaeda prisoners, handed over a map to Ambassador Ryan Crocker showing Taliban leaders home that the US should bomb straight away to get rid of the Taliban. And it worked. And then the Axis of Evil speech happened and Iran went from being a potential ally in Iraq to being you know, people who sponsored and helped the insurgents. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we're being so hostile to Iran and Trump has pulled out the Iran deal while giving Saudi Arabia whatever it wants, um, including weapons to keep on bombing hospitals, funerals, farms, schools in Yemen, um, is just, just, just unbelievable. Well, thanks for bringing 9-11 back, guys. But, um, you know, uh, uh, also, like, after 9-11, like everybody was very scared of the US. Like, what's the reaction? So everybody was willing to do and help whatever they can, you know? Um, but uh, we, we misused it again, like you said, the example with Iran, you know? So after all these years, do you think we, we've done any slight good in Afghanistan or Iraq or anything from what you saw on the ground from the people that you talked to? I mean, right now in Afghanistan, you could make the argument it's, I mean, in terms of the Taliban's rule, it's better yeah. than under the Taliban's rule. Um, it's slightly better for women, not much. In terms of security, it's, it's worse. Um, you know, the, the civilian casualties have been very high for the last five or six years, but it's also about what happens in the future. If we pull out of Afghanistan now, and you know, it depends what pulling out means. If it means removing all, all US troops, it's gonna be bad. If it means stopping funding for the Afghan government and the Afghan army, it's gonna be really bad. And you're gonna have defection, desertions, and the Taliban taking cities in, in a matter of days. So when you look at the next year or two, especially if there's a complete withdrawal, then yeah, it's going to be worse. 
And of course, then you also think, what could you have done with the several, several trillion dollars that was spent? What could you have done with all of that manpower? Um, I mean, it's interesting. We, we were talking this morning with a friend about, about a lot of white protesters joining these, the protests that are going on now and local black protesters saying, don't smash this, don't burn this. You're not making my life any better. You're yeah. gonna to leave tomorrow and my life is gonna get harder because of what you're doing. Exactly the same thing in Iraq and Afghanistan. No one turned up and found out who the local people were who were smart and honest and wanted to improve their communities and just say, what do you need? We'd already worked out what they need before we even got on a plane. Um, and that's the, the, the worst mistake you can make and it was made straight away. You know, if you want to help people who are different to you and live a, you know, in a different neighborhood or a different country, the first thing you do is ask them what they need. Because the idea that you can get it right on a PowerPoint presentation in an office in DC is, is ludicrous. Happens all the time. Yo, quick question. Um, in, in terms of, like I, I, my, I um, some of these videos, I make videos every day that I put up on my page and there is a, there's like a, um, an Instagram page in Iran that for some reason they love my videos. So I, I, I sometimes get, yeah, I get these bunches of followers, these women from Iran that start following me on Instagram. My family. But I, <laughs> but I noticed that sometimes in, I, I, on Sundays today, I put up, ask me a question. And sometimes I get people like, hey, what do you think of Iran? And I'm like, hey, you know, I think all the people that I've met are fucking beautiful people. I know our governments don't whatever, whatever, don't uh, um, agree. Do you find when you're in a lot of these places that people are able to separate the two? like that or do they just say america thinks what trump thinks or are they able to to say hey you know i know that your government is da -da -da, but in general i think americans are all right or do they throw us in the in the in the same it, it absolutely separated between foreign policy and the people and, and that's what we don't do with iran i mean the iranian government is is killing syrians and palestinians in syria in, in the tens of thousands but the iranian people if you if you turned up in, in iran and just said I just wanted to come and check out the country for myself. You would be so, I mean, you would come back 20 pounds heavier because you got invited into so many people's homes and got these feasts cooked for you. Um, so they absolutely separate it. And, and, and as far as I can see, always, always have. And even, you know, the famous protests where they're chanting death to America, death to Israel. It's, it's a bunch of old guys, you know, bust in from the countryside, you know, death to America, death to Israel. You America. You introduce them to America, and they'd be one of the best people you've ever met. You, you know, you know, John. We had an episode uh, with the Afghani superstar, like singer Ramsha Shifa, who married a Marine, and then they came here, and they have problems. You know, so she's very big in Afghanistan. So we had this episode was like insane. Like had so many people from Afghanistan uh, listening and then messaging us, and I got a lot of messages. Everything, everybody's like, can you help us? Can you help us? Can you help us? Can you, we want to, we want to skip this. I'm Christian and I live in, uh, in Afghanistan, but uh, secretly, I, I, you know, a lot of people like that, you know, desperate, you know, so yeah. it's, 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 it's hard, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Iran is, is going to be another thing, but you know, um, so uh, back to the point of Afghanistan, you don't think it's done any good, right? No. No. Um, and, you know, one of the myths about the, the invasion of Afghanistan was, you know, one of the reasons we went in was to liberate women and, and improve women's rights. And 
they haven't improved much. And many of our allies have no disagreements with the Taliban whatsoever on, on how to what, treat them. Wait, what, women has rights? <laughs> yeah, so people say, you know, we've, 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 we've improved things so much for them. And yeah, yeah. Well, same thing in Iraq, where we're supposed no to improve idea. people's lives and women's lives and give them more freedoms. They have less freedoms and uh, women's lives are, are much, much harder in Iraq since Saddam. That women had more freedoms. People had more freedoms under Saddam than they do after Saddam. I, I wouldn't push it. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I was born in Kuwait. I, I lived there to the first Gulf War. Uh, so I've seen, I've been to Iraq, I've seen, you know, how... Yeah, it depends you know, where you are and where you are. I mean, I, I interviewed um, Christians in Mosul, and when ISIS came in and took over Mosul, they, they, they said things were so bad under the Shia government from Baghdad. Yep. Welcomed ISIS. Yep. They, yeah. oh, these guys are going to protect us from the, the looters and torturers from, from Baghdad. That, that's how bad it was to be um, Sunni or Christian in, in the wrong parts of, parts of Iraq. Yeah, and to, back to the point, Ben, when you said like that we think it's good for what for the other people and we do our plan towards them, other countries, and we don't understand it, it's the same thing with the police here and the black community. It's like we, the police is like doing what they think it's, it's right, why, but it's not, you know? Why don't you listen to the community? What do you need? You know, all that, and that could be a solution. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that comparison you made about, you know, the, the simple fact of not going there and go, what can we do to help? And, but instead we were like, we're doing this, we're doing that. We know what's best. And that, I think that's, that's been a big frustration about watching all these, you know, protests and everything is everyone I see smashing things up are white and it's really frustrating to see, you know, and, and it, it's, it's a lot of, I think Antifa going in and trying to be chaotic and everything when like, that's not what it's about. It's not about uh, uh, causing chaos for, for the most part. I, I think a lot of people want to peacefully protest. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry. Um, I was in Fort Greene Friday night. Just to, That's where I used to live. And I was watching the protest there and they burnt a, a police van there. And Jeffrey Wright was there, you know, the actor. Who I know a little bit and he lives in the neighborhood. And he was screaming at people like, you're not from here. You're not helping us. You're not making our life any easier. And there were people like in his face saying he was a cop and screaming the worst abuse, not even listening to the person who, who has lived there 20 years. Um, and, you know, not only is that... Jeffrey's a really good guy, too. I mean, doesn't need any, you know, doesn't need to prove his credentials as an activist. He's um, a really good guy. Not only is it a stupid thing to do not to get local intelligence and say to local people, what do you need? But, you know, in Afghanistan, it costs roughly a million dollars to have one Marine there for one tour on a six-month tour. So for the cost of three U.S. Marines, you could fund, there's an NGO called Emergency, run by an Italian heart surgeon. They have 26 hospitals, which are the best hospitals in Afghanistan. Their budget is a few million a year. So just from a purely practical point of view about spending money wisely, you know, you imagine the cost of five community activists who really want to improve their community versus one consultant from D.C. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you could get so much more bang for your buck if you put the money in the right place, rather than having these outside consultants coming in with you know, very expensive ideas and presentations. And if you're talking about Iraq and Afghanistan, very expensive security. They get yeah. in bulletproof SUVs, security guards, a porter cabin with Wi-Fi and air conditioning. You could pay 100 Afghans to do 100 times more work mm -hmm. than, than, than having that, that foreign consultant there, who, by the way, is so scared of going out, he's never finding out the local needs 
<laughs> John, do you think part of the problem is that there's no leader, like there's Black Lives Matter, but there's no like simple, there's no leader who's like, who's like taking over and ask for a change. I think that's part of it. I've been saying for a long time that the, the void is frightening, number one. Number two, the last time that we had an eruption like this across the country, they kind of spread into an international, you know, there's people now in Europe that are like, that's terrible what's happening in America. It's kind of become an international thing. I've not been around. So the last time was in the 60s mm. that you saw something like this. And the last time you saw an insurrection like this, the federal government's response was to decapitate the black men who did have answers. Do you know what I mean? Either jail them, the Panthers, the Nation of Islam, they locked them all up and they killed Malcolm and Martin. So there was, the, 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 the response was pretty quick, like, hey, get these fucking black dudes that have these ideas the fuck out of here. And you can see now there's a void because consistently you see people on TV, you know, they say that uh, the art of war is like, giving surrounding people on three sides and then give them an out and that's what i mean about these cops who are willing to say hey that was wrong you have mm -hmm. to welcome those people to your side you know what i mean you also if you're the mayor of atlanta and people are burning the city up you don't want to end your speech in saying go home you know what i mean that's not and, and you're talking about what dr king said these motherfuckers don't give a fuck about what dr king said most younger black people feel like the Dr. King experiment was a failure. It didn't work for us, obviously. Turning the other cheek didn't work. So what do you gotta do? You have to explain to people, in the event that you fucking don't vote, in the event that you don't figure out other places to spend your money, you, and that's where King and, and Malcolm were headed. They were going toward economic arguments when they were killed. And we're starting to talk to each other as well. What's that? And yeah. they were to talk to each other. They were moving exactly. towards each other. Because I think they both realized, oh shit, they're not speaking our language. They only speak money. Yeah. So when they started making that shift, the Nation of Islam went under. The, the Panthers went under. Once they realized, oh, we have to start telling people where to spend money. The only thing these people understand is where we spend mm. our money and the ballot box. Burning up Target has never worked. Mm. I made jokes about it last night, you remember Ian, but it, that's not the solution. And most black people don't agree with that. The CNN building, this, this white guy is standing there with a skateboard trying to break out the window. The black people, the black dudes are standing behind him like, hey, chill. Dude, I, I've, I've seen arguments on screenshots of friends sending me things of white people being like, it's not a white person's place to tell black people how to loot or riot. It's their space. We observe and allow. And black people are like, shut the fuck up. Are you stupid? No, I'm not condoning people committing crime. And the white people are like, but I thought I was helping. <laughs> but why is looting, looting a store is a crime, but looting the national treasury is just Wall Street. Why is it... Uh... You know, why is a few thousand dollars worth of damage such a big thing, but trillions of dollars of theft, it's, everybody just looks the other way. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with the, with, the, with the property damage. I have a problem with where you direct it. I didn't have a problem with them burning the police station. Neither did I. Nor did I, I have paid a for it. Because I lived in Minnesota. I played ball. I signed as a ball player with Minnesota. So I played ball at Minnesota for two years. Very smart people up there. And I like for the very first time in one of these protests that they took it 
to the place that is actually that actually does the damage to us as black men. My my Instagram post today was talking about all the times the cops have put guns to my head, my face, threw my shit in the water, made me get on the ground unnecessarily. If you read my Instagram shit today. So I don't have a problem with you going to the police station or standing outside the cop's house. I don't want anyone touching his house. But I think if you go to the source of the problem, why are you burning Target? Why are you burning up the-, the Well, the, Target sort of sucks. The stores <laughs> in, your, in your fucking, you know what I mean? Quit burning up your own neighborhoods. That's the the house, there were Somali-owned restaurants, there were art community centers got burnt down. I, I agree with you 100%. The one thing I'd say is you can't, when people, when people have someone's knee on their neck, you can't then demand they behave well. No, I, I, I yo, and, and, and in my post, I say I understand the rage. I understand that when that, when that water boils over the pot, some of it's going to spill places you didn't want it to. I, I also think after the Watts riots in 92, there was police reform. I, I think... I think, you know, if you cause a spark big enough, people are going to have to reform what caused the spark to happen in the first place. But I just, you know, hope and pray that reform is made and not just a swifter, stronger strike of the hammer. And it's going to be a stronger strike of the hammer. I mean, two weeks ago, they were storming the Michigan Capitol, white men with guns, storming the Michigan Capitol with no consequences. Yeah, but Tony, they need haircuts, okay? <laughs> they do need haircuts. So, so do I. Right? I think that you get reform faster when that energy is directed to the right places. Totally. So I totally, totally understand what you're saying about the Watts riots, but I think that you can get it done fast when you take that beat to the police station and to the perpetrator's home and mm-hmm. say, we, you should be arrested. You should not be out. You're a murderer. We watched you murder someone in cold blood. You shouldn't be free to sit here and watch HBO like the rest of us tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm totally for that. And I think that probably sent a chill up that police precinct spine fat and across the country faster than anything. Because when you when someone thinks, wait a minute, they're going to come to my house where my kids and my wife live, they're going to burn down my place of work and wait for us outside. Then I think the next time somebody does something stupid, the next cop standing next to him be like, hey, motherfucker, slow down, because this might not end well tonight. People are recording this. They're going to come to our houses. They're going to wait for us outside of work. That's I don't know. Burning up the goddamn shoe store. I, I don't know if I agree with people going to people's houses. I think that that can be a very slippery slope to just, you know, at – Finding out, I the whole thing about finding out where people live and doxing people and everything is like very, very scary because sometimes, sometimes you get it wrong. Does this cop deserve to be dragged out of his house and fucking dragged to a police station and put in jail? Yes, but it, having people show up to people's houses just like that is is a very, very scary thing. Citizen and arrest. I, I totally oh, agree with you about going to the cop station. Ian, under any other circumstances, I would fully agree with you. If we couldn't, if, if all of us didn't have a watch and know what seven or eight minutes on someone's neck, we saw it with our own eyes. If, if, there, if it was in question in any way, shape, or form, I would totally agree with you. But we don't have to guess on that one. Mm-hmm. There was no reason not to come. Let me tell you something. If I go to the bodega right now and a girl points at me and says, he just slapped me. They would put the cuffs on me. No videotape. 
No, nothing else. If someone pointed at me today and said, that guy just punched me, I would be handcuffed. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't this man handcuffed when we saw eight minutes on this guy's neck as he pleads for his life? That's the only reason I think that. By the way, you might, you might not only be handcuffed, but you might get sent to Rikers or somewhere and they say, by the way, it doesn't matter if you're guilty or not, but you're going to get found guilty. So take a plea deal and do two years instead of 10, because that's the best you're going to get right now. Mm. And that's going to happen 20 times today. Yeah, yeah. In New York City. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let's hope things get better. And this time, you know, people concentrate and, and not forget by next week, you know, with another incident, you know. I mean, one of the most depressing things about this was um, Floyd George was literally saying, I can't breathe. No, I know. Same I know. that we'd heard. Same, yeah. You, that's you, what I'm saying. You could hear it across the street. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. You can take the name out and put another name. It's the same story over and over and over. And it's going to continue until there is a solution, not just protesting. Like, there should be a solution from a leadership, which we don't have. So uh, until then, we're kind of stuck. So last question, Ben, are you going anywhere after this, the corona? Or are you done uh, war reporting? I'm not. I mean, actually, the... At the end of the first, I did three MDMA sessions. At the end of the first MDMA session, I was having ideas for you know future films and projects. So I'm not done. I just have to be a bit smarter and and you know if there's that numbness about danger, then just ignore that. And also, the goal is always to show the effect of war on civilians. Uh -huh. I don't need to spend a month showing you guys shooting each other. You know exactly what that looks like. We all know what that looks like. I need to show the effect of that on civilians. And you can do that without being at the place where you know people are getting their heads blown off every two minutes, where you might lose your legs if you step on, a, on an IED. So yeah, I'm definitely doing more, but I'm just gonna try and do it a little bit, a little bit differently. Okay. Well, I have a question before we go. Yeah. How cold is it in John's apartment that he's wearing a sweatshirt? <laughs> you you don't know John. This motherfucker always in a hoodie. Always. Yeah. Dead, dead heat of summer, and he's in and he's in a hoodie. <laughs> When you're when you're that tall, the air travels differently. Oh yeah, it gets colder down here. Yes, All the heat rises yes, to the head. Yes, that's yes. why. Uh, that's why he doesn't use the hood. Uh, yep. Now I understand. That's what it is. Ah, uh, nice. Well, guys, thank you so much. It was great uh, having all of you. Uh, Tony, you want to share your information and anything? Yes, you I'll be. Uh, I'll be home until um, 2022, probably. And uh, there's my email address. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, you know, whatever. Whenever you get bored, you can follow me. You can just stalk me. I don't care. <laughs> ben? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm just Ben John Anderson. I can, I can put a link to the MDMA film and other films if people want to see it. I want to see I'll that. I'll probably tell you where you can do the underground therapy, but <laughs> you'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. you can. Uh, go ahead, John. Yo, hit me at uh, He Was Funny. I think it's there in the corner, man. I'm on uh, IG, man. I have a movie, too, so... Anybody, gotta come. anybody who hits me from this, I'll send you a free link to my movie. So, do you, wanna, do you guys want to put the link now? You can share it if you want from the share button. What in the oh. chat? Yeah. No, no. You can you can press share and then share the link so uh, the audience can hear it. Uh, Ian, uh, I'm at Ian Fidance on Instagram and Twitter, IanFidance.com, and um, I. I, I want to amend what I said earlier. I agree with you, John. Go to the guy's house. Rip him out. I'm on your team. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you're wearing a sweatshirt. I don't care how hot it is. 
All right, guys, thank you so much. And this right. is live from America podcast. And Noam is not here still. He just texted me. Uh, his daughter is a little sick, so he couldn't make it. He apologized. Um, but uh, we'll see you guys soon. Ben, thank you so much. And hopefully you'll become a regular and stay in touch. Great to meet you. Look forward to your documentary. You. It was great listening to everybody. Ahead, thank you so much. Nice thank to see you. you guys. Bye, John. Bye. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>